How about the band this morning? Amen. I loved it. Loved the, the new songs. Uh, it was nice to see the drummers. I always thought it was just one drummer back there. I wondered how they could do all that stuff. Well, I guess it was just two drummers for today. But anyway, they did a great job. My name is Gary Manis, and it's a privilege for me to be here today. Typically, I'm sitting right over here on the front row, uh, which Pastor Jeff refers to as his amen corner. And when you hear a loud amen, hopefully at the appropriate places, it's usually my voice, maybe a few others. Uh, since I'm not going to be able to say amen to my own message today, I've designated that job to my wife, Becky. She's the amen corner. And in the first service, she said amen just like this. She said But I saw it, and that was good. <laughs> we are in the, in the tail end now of a summer series of messages entitled Minor Prophets, Major Messages. We are today on the book of Haggai, or if you're addressing the Channel 5 weathermen, Haggai. <laughs> Went over a lot better in the first service. <laughs> Haggai. Haggai is one of the binder prophets who doesn't speak about what is going to happen, but speaks about what is happening as the exiles have been returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem with the task of rebuilding the temple. But there's an issue that they have that Haggai and also Zechariah, who we'll be looking at next week, both address. In fact, the theme of the book of Haggai is temple as it relates to the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed. If you are a first-time guest here today, we're delighted that you're here. It may be the first time you've ever been in church, maybe the first time you're at Element Church, and we're glad that you're here today. And my prayer is that as we talk about being stuck, that there'll be some things that will be reminded of you in your own life where you've been stuck, but someone or something provided a way for you to get started again. And that's my prayer today. For those of you that call Element home, we're always glad that you're here and desire that the Lord would continue to lead you in the way that he started in your life. Back in 1973, long, long, long time ago for some of you, uh, my wife and I had been married for two years. We're going to celebrate our 47th wedding anniversary in two weeks, 47 years. We had been married for two years. I had just finished Bible college a year before, and we had moved down to Corpus Christi, Texas to help restart a church. It was a church that had been in existence. Things hadn't gone well. They'd shut it down for a year or two, and now they were attempting to reopen it. So it's somewhat like a church plant. So when you go into a situation like that, there, is no, there are no resources to provide a salary for you so everybody gets a job and you work and then you also minister in reopening the church. Becky got a job working as a sales clerk at that French place, J.C. Penney. Anybody ever been to J.C. Penney? <laughs> Great place. She was working in women's apparel and she made the whopping sum of 85 cents an hour. 85 cents an hour. I went down to the employment agency, the Texas Employment Agency, and I was fortunate enough to get hired at a locksmith shop. I had never had any experience. They were looking for someone to train to run the store while the owner would go out and make service calls. So I got to learn how to pick locks and master key locks and chain safe combinations and open cars that were locked. So be careful. 
<laughs> it was a great experience. Now, most of the time, in fact, probably 98, 99% of the time, I would stay at the shop, at the store, and as customers would come in, I would take care of their specific needs, and then I would talk to the boss on the two-way radio. He was out in a van and would be doing service calls, but occasionally he would need me to come and assist him, and that's what happened on this occasion. He called me to meet him at a new section of town, new houses going in, new apartment complexes. I knew the street, so I got in on a, a Ford Econoline van. It was a 1963. It was the second van in the fleet. It was the one that was the oldest and didn't look quite as nice as this one. That's a beautiful one. But it was a van that was all windows, and I was on my way out to meet him. Three-speed standard transmission on the column. And as I got to the place where I thought he was, the road came to an end. It's kind of like some of the roads you see here in Cheyenne where you're just driving along and suddenly you come to an open field and there's nothing there. Well, it was an open field. There were no houses around me. It was still being developed. And I looked down over the hill, down across a large expanse, and I could see a housing development down there where he was. In fact, I saw his Ford Econoline van, a much newer one parked down there, and he was getting out of the van. I don't know why I did it. I put it in reverse, I turned the key off, and I stepped down out of that Ford Econoline van, left foot first. You can see by the design structure of it that it has a fatal flaw in it. That is, if you step down from the driver's seat, you are right in position to get connected to the wheels. And that's exactly what happened. I stepped down with my left foot, and as I stepped my right foot down, the van rolled forward right on top of my left foot, and stopped. I was stuck. <laughs> I looked down to where my boss was. He was going from the van into the house he was going to be working on, and I yelled out to him, Pete! No response. He didn't hear me. He was having hearing trouble anyway. It was a long ways. He just kept right on, went into the house. And, and there I'm I look around. There's no cars around because it's still undeveloped. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I am stuck here. It wasn't just stuck. It was clear up on the middle part of my foot, just standing there. Now, you'd think I was in extreme pain. I didn't even feel any pain. I was just wondering, what am I going to do to get unstuck? And so I'm, I'm standing there thinking, and finally, I mean, this is, remember, this is before cell phones, before all that kind of stuff. I couldn't reach in and grab the two-way radio. The horn was too far for me to reach. Fortunately, it was a manual transmission. And I realized all of a sudden, here's what I can try. I can reach in with my right hand and depress the clutch, and hopefully the van will roll off my foot. So that was my only hope. I reached in with my right hand, depressed the clutch, and there was just enough inertia to get that van to roll off of my foot and down. I quickly stepped back, no harm to my foot, which is an amazing thing, and I didn't tell the boss about it, <laughs> nor anybody else. I was stuck and needed help. Fortunately, there was a way of escape. But the people in Haggai's book in Jerusalem, were stuck, and the only way they were going to get started was if God came through for them. The big idea for today is this. God's people can get stuck. Good place for an amen there. <laughs> 
we can get stuck, amen? I'm not talking about with your foot underneath the tire of a van. I'm talking about we can get spiritually stuck. Have you ever been there? I've been spiritually stuck and needed something to get me going again. We're going to look at the book of Haggai, only two chapters. But before we go to Haggai, I want us to look at some other things that will set the stage to leading up to the place where they were stuck in the processes that God had for them. So the first scripture is in the book of Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, chapter 29. Jeremiah is speaking for the Lord to the exiles in Babylon, telling them how long they're going to be there and what's going to happen at the end of that time. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10 says this, this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. In the book of Ezra, which is one of the historical books, you'll find it just before the book of Psalms. It's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then Psalms. Ezra, in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. It says this, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. Here's the proclamation. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. The God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish woman is found, but let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses. So they have the permission of the king, King Cyrus, to go back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what 50,000 plus of them do under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Brendan was talking about Habakkuk. And uh, he said he was going to say Habakkuk. Well, every time I might need to say Zerubbabel, I'm going to say the rubber ball. <laughs> Just think Zerubbabel. Okay. See, I can't even say it. All right. So they left 50,000 of them made their way back to Jerusalem with the blessing of the King Cyrus and with others providing the resources. And they began to build in, in Ezra chapter three, verse 11, we see the initial celebration of the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 11, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is good. We've been singing about that this morning. He is faithful. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. The work had begun. They were excited. God's temple was going to rebuild, be rebuilt. But then in Ezra chapter 4, 
you see opposition begin to take place. Opposition that causes the project to finally be brought to a standstill as you read in verse 24 of Ezra chapter 4. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. And that's where we begin our look at the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1 verse 1 gives us the same time frame. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, or the rubber ball, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. People of God can get stuck. And these people were stuck. You see, it wasn't just a short time that the work of the temple rebuild had been put aside. It had been 14 years since Ezra 4, verse 24, until Haggai 1, verse 1. 14 years they'd lived in Jerusalem. While the foundations had been laid, no other work was done. They were stuck in the plan that God had given to them. So the big question for today really is this. If God's people can get stuck, how can I get stuck? Now, we're not talking about being stuck physically. We're, being, we're talking about being stuck spiritually in whatever journey that God has laid out for us. So how can I get stuck? There are external and internal factors that cause them to be stuck in the midst of the plan that God had for them. The first factor was this. There was pressure, pressure. We didn't read Ezra chapter 4, but you might want to take time this week to look at it because it lays out for us very, clear, very clearly the pressure that they were under. They were under pressure from those around them and those above them, their peers and the political figures to stop building the temple. It was a great thing that happened in the laying of the foundation, but all of a sudden the the oppression and the opposition intensified pressure. Have you ever faced pressure in your walk with the Lord that caused you to come to a standstill? I'm convinced that this most often happens to those who are new in the faith. Now, I may be wrong about that, but I, I've thought about that in preparation for this message. Those that are new in the faith often face intense pressure from those around them. It may be their friends their co-workers, could be family members, could be an employer or those that they work with. It could be from any different source, but the pressure comes. We all face from time to time pressure from those around us, but we also face pressure from those who are above us. We see in our nation a lot of things taking place, and there is pressure being placed upon Christians and those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that's always been and will continue to be until Jesus comes again. So how can I get stuck? Well, I can get stuck because pressure comes, and I respond to it in a way that I should not respond. There's a second thing that I see here in the book of Haggai about how I can get stuck, and that's this, priorities, priorities. Look at verse 4. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? That's the question that God asked of the people through the prophet Haggai. You're living in these fine houses, and the house that's meant for my presence to dwell in is still a foundation. What's going on? The NIV even says you're living in 
paneled houses. Now, I remember growing up, there was a, there was a phase in, in uh, decoration where wood paneling was the big thing. Now it's kind of gone past the, the, the point of being favorable. But these were not just wood paneled houses. You see, to have a paneled house in their culture meant that you'd not only left, uh, built a house, but you have decorated the inside. It wasn't just stucco or stone on the inside. It had been decorated. And so God is saying to them, your priorities have gotten out of whack. I sent you back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But what you've simply done is rebuild your own houses. And my, my house remains in a ruin. So how can I get stuck? I can get stuck by pressure. But I can also get stuck by mis, misaligned priorities. There's a third thing here. It's found in verse 2, how someone can get stuck. And that's this, procrastination. Procrastination. Verse 2. This is what the Lord, the, the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now think with me for just a moment. 14 years prior, they had rejoiced because the foundations of the Lord's temple had been rebuilt. Opposition came, the building stopped. And so now they weren't thinking that it was time to build the house of the Lord. In fact, they were using the excuse, well, it's been 14 years, so it really isn't the time yet. We'll wait a little longer. Procrastination procrastination. The people of God can get stuck spiritually. How can we get stuck? How can I get stuck? By pressure that comes and I fall to it. By priorities in my life or yours that get rearranged. And by procrastination, knowing what the plan of God is, knowing what his purposes are, and yet saying it's not the right time. That's the big question. Now, you're probably thinking, man, that was the shortest sermon on record. But that's not all. I've got another question to ask you. It's not the big question. It's really the bigger question. Because, you see, if I'm stuck as a Christian, if you're stuck as a Christian, I want to know how to get started. Don't you? If you're stuck as a Christian, we need to know how I can get started. So I want us to look at the book of Haggai and find out what the Lord has to say about getting unstuck. So the bigger question is, how do I get started if I'm stuck? How do I get started if I'm stuck? The first thing we need to do is this. Number one, we must remember his promises. This is so basic, it hardly seems to be, need to be spoken, but yet it's where we need to begin. Remember his promises. There are three promises God gives to these people in those two chapters in Haggai. The first one is found in Haggai chapter 1, verse 13. Listen to it. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. If, if you don't get blessed by that, uh, there's something wrong with your blesser, all right? Because the Lord is saying to them, even though they're stuck, even though they had not moved forward, he's saying to them, I'm with you. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you. In Exodus chapter 33, when the children of Israel have escaped the land of Egypt's bondage, God is speaking to Moses, and he's put out with the people of Israel. And the Lord says to Moses, you can go, 
They can go, but I'm not going with them. And Moses says to the Lord, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go because what else separates us from the rest of the world than your presence? You see, what separates the people of God from everybody else is the presence of God. What a blessing that is. And God says to them through the prophet, hey, guy, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the promise of his presence. There's a second promise that we see down in chapter 2, verse 5. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised you, when, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. Remember when they came out of Egypt, did they sneak out? Did they go out in the cover of darkness so they wouldn't be discovered? No, the scripture says the Lord brought them out with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. This is the promise of his power. He is saying to them, just as I brought the, your descendants with power out of Egypt's bondage, I have power for you to accomplish the task that I've given you to accomplish. That's the promise of his power. So there's the promise of his presence, the promise of his power, but there's one other promise in chapter 2, verse 19. This is what the Lord says. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain, and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. What's the promise here? It's the promise of his provision. And so we, if we need to get started because we're stuck, the first place we do, the first thing we do is remember his promises, his promise of his presence, his promise of his power, his promise of his provision. What a marvelous God he is, and he is good. And so how do I get started if I'm stuck? I remember his promises. Second thing that I think is important to do in that process is this. I need to respond to his prompting. Respond to his prompting. Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. Then the rubber ball, son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people, began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet, prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. I need to respond to his prompting. What was the prompting in their lives? It was the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah that we'll look at next week. God spoke clearly to them. It's time to get started because you're stuck. Respond to his prompting. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a necessarily an audible voice from the Lord speak to me with a prompting. But there have been lots of times in my life where God has prompted me in one way or another in a direction I know he wanted me to go. Sometimes it's through a sermon that I've heard. Maybe today some of you will hear something in this message and the Lord will use it to prompt you to get you moving in the right direction. Perhaps it's a song. Maybe it's a scripture that you'll read or a book that you'll pick up. Sometimes it can come from the most unusual places. There have been times in my life where I have been prompted by God through watching something on television. 
I'm not talking about a religious show. I'm talking about something like Andy Griffith. All right? And, and the, something will happen in that story. Ernest T. Bass is on there, you know. And, and uh, something will happen. And in my heart, in my mind, God takes that nugget and he prompts me with something he has for me. Maybe it's to get me moving again. Maybe it's to show me a new direction. But we need to respond to his promptings. So if I'm stuck, how can I get started? I remember his promises. I respond to his prompting. And there's a third thing I see in verses 14 and 15 of Haggai chapter 1. I refuse to procrastinate. You see, that's a choice I make. That's a choice you make. I refuse to procrastinate. Look at what it says. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the rubber ball, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Meshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st, the second year of King Darius's reign. They began to do the work. They refused to procrastinate. And we know from reading over in the book of Ezra, that historical book, that the temple was completed four years later. The work started on the date that's given to us in chapter 2 of Haggai, 21 days after the first word of the Lord came to them, get up and rebuild. And four years later, the project was completed. Why? Because they got to work doing what God had prompted them to do, recognizing his promises. Several years ago, I had the privilege of being involved in something called the Conference on Discipleship at a church in Denver, Colorado. It was really a training for us to take the manual, the discipleship manual, back to our local churches and to then disciple those around us. And that's exactly what we did. It's a tremendous program. I still have the manual, often refer to it. But there was something in there that really spoke to me about this whole issue of procrastination. It was called lag time, L-A-G-T-I-M-E, two words, lag time. It was talking about when God gives us insight, when God gives us promptings, what do we do? And the concept was this, that there will be insight from the Lord. God will give you insight into something that he has for you or direction he wants you to go or something that God has placed before you that is for you and for the benefit of, the, of others. There's insight. That's followed up by the second part of the formula, which is opportunity. God doesn't just give us insight without giving us opportunity to put it into practice. Amen? He doesn't just give us information for the sake of information. He gives us those insights, those promptings, because there's an opportunity coming for us to do something. Then the third leg of that three-leg stool is this. It is obedience. From the time of the insight to the opportunity, we don't control that. But when the opportunity comes, the time from there to when we obey is our choice. And that was called lag time. So however long it goes out, that's the amount of lag time between the insight opportunity and our obedience. Now the goal was obviously this. 
We want the lag time to be so short it's not even noticeable. We don't want it to drag out for 14 years. We don't want it to drag out for 14 weeks. When the Lord gives the opportunity, it's time to move. Amen? Insight, opportunity, and obedience. Some of you may remember the name of the man I'm about to share with you. His name is Zig Ziglar. Anybody remember Zig Ziglar? Yes, all of us that are a little bit older in the congregation. Right? <laughs> a few that are, maybe aren't quite as old as I am. Zig Ziglar, tremendous motivational speaker. If you went to hear Zig Ziglar speak and, and didn't come out really motivated, there was something wrong with you. And I remember Zig Ziglar at a conference I was at speaking about this whole issue of procrastination. He was talking about the fact that in our lives, we know there are some things that need to be done, and yet we are often tempted to put them off when the opportunity is there. And his solution to that whole issue of procrastination was this. He said, and I can still see him as he said it, when you get up in the morning, stand in front of the mirror and say 100 times before you start your day, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. And he did that. He stood there and looked out at us and said, do it now, 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 do it now. Until by the time he was done, we were ready to run out the doors and do it now. We were ready. But what was he saying? He was simply saying, that choice is mine. That choice is yours. God is with us. His power is available to us. He's promised to provide what we need. He's given us the insight He's shown us the opportunity. Now the question is, will we do it? Will we do it? I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. For some of you, you haven't even begun a journey with Christ. And we're glad you're here. We hope you'll come back because we believe he has a wonderful journey for you to be a part of. But there may be some of us here this morning that have found ourselves in our journey with the Lord stuck. We're stuck because God's people can get stuck. We don't know how it happened, maybe. Could have been pressure, priorities, procrastination. But this morning, God has come by his spirit, and he said, I promised you, I've promised you, I'm prompting you, I'm prompting you. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to get going again? Or are you going to continue to muddle along? I mentioned in the service earlier that there is no such thing, in my opinion, as the status quo in the Christian life. Let me see if I can explain that. I mean by that, that as a believer in Christ, you are either moving forward or you're slipping back. You can't tread water all the time in your walk with the Lord. There may be times when you pause, and, but, and a lady mentioned to me, out in the foyer on her way out, she said this, and it, was, it stuck with me. It was really good. She said, I was listening to somebody else talk about procrastination, and they said, you never drift towards the Lord. You only drift away from him. Wow. Why is that? Because the culture of our world, the current of society, does not cause us to drift toward the Lord. In fact, it causes us to drift away from him. So my question this morning is this. Where are you at? If you're stuck, you can get started. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, 
I thank you for this truth. It's so practical, Lord. And the people began. They got started after they'd been stuck for 14 years. Thank you, Lord, for your promises, for your power, for your provision. I pray right now, Lord, that there, if there's any person in this room today who has been walking with you, but for whatever reason they've gotten stuck, that this will be a day when they stand up and get going in their walk with you. You're here, Lord, to provide all that they need, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're stuck, you can get started. God bless you.